Thank you, Manson. Thank you uh, for the invitation. It's good, good to be here this evening. And uh, Larry asked me if I'd be willing to come and, and share the message here. Um, I asked him if there's a topic or a text or something he'd like me to, to share on. He said, no, it's up to me. So um, it turns out that uh, I preached this morning at Milford as well. So my plan was to use the same sermon. I know pastors do this. My dad used to do this. A, a couple uh, sermons, I'm, I'm reruns, I guess, is what they were called. But think of it not as a rerun tonight. Just think of it as that I had a practice session this morning, and I'm able to, uh, to share that this evening. So at, uh, at Milford Chapel, um, I have the last six months or so, I have been uh, looking, when it's my turn to preach, been preaching out of the parables of Jesus, looking at what Jesus is teaching through the parables. And so this morning was kind of a, a wrap-up, I think. I think we're about done with that series. So this morning was kind of a, a wrap-up of that with one last uh, the parable that I was, uh, had laid on my heart to preach was in Matthew chapter 25, the first 13 verses. It is, we know it as the parable of the ten virgins. And I have entitled this message, Watch Therefore. And we'll, we'll get to that here in a little bit. But if you uh, would turn to Matthew 25, we'll read these first 13 verses and then go back and make some comment on them. Verse 1, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him, and the, I'm sorry, went in with him to the marriage feast, and the doors were shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And then verse 13, Jesus kind of uh, caps up this parable. He says, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So as we we think of this situation here, it's good to uh, get a little bit of background here of how, what was going on here. We don't have a lot recorded in the sense of exactly how a marriage feast or uh, this tradition, tra- traditional marriage would have looked like necessarily. Uh, there's kind of some question as far as what, what this would have actually looked like. But from what I could find, and uh, there's uh, what people believe, is that it could have possibly been where there would have been a... Uh, an arranged marriage, possibly fairly young girls, maybe as young as 14, uh, where they would have been arranged and betrothed, but then some years later is when they would have actually had this, this wedding feast or this ceremony. And probably what would have happened is the, the groom would have sent word and, say, and said, 
we need to get ready. This is our wedding date. And he would have, they would have had uh, uh, set up a time and a place for him to go pick up his bride along with her, her uh, bridesmaids. Some translations use the, this term for virgins here, use the word bridesmaids. Her wedding party is what we would possibly call it today. And they would uh, have a processional through the streets over to the husband's uh, place, if he had his own place, or if he was living with his parents, if the, the new couple was going to be living at, at their parents' place, wherever they were going to be living, they would kind of uh, have a processional over there through the streets. And that's where this wedding ceremony, the wedding feast would take place. So, um, you know, I, as I was thinking about that the, uh, when I was younger, the idea of arranged marriages was crazy. And uh, the older I get and the older my children get, the more I think maybe, <laughs> maybe there's some uh, validity there. Um, I'm sure my children would disagree. But uh, that's, that's kind of the culture. That's what, what some assume would have happened or could be what Jesus was talking about here. I'm sure in there, the, the disciples, as Jesus was telling them this, they knew exactly how he, uh, what he meant and how this fit into their culture and what he was saying. But as we, as we look at what he's saying, the, we're immediately introduced to these ten virgins, these ten bridesmaids here. Uh, verse 2, it says, five were foolish and five were wise. Just kind of out there in the open. He just drops the bombshell there. Ten, uh, five were foolish. And then he goes on in verse 3 and tells us why they were foolish. They took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. And I'm not sure if this means that they didn't take extra oil or if they literally had no oil in their lamp to begin with. But we know that the, the oil is the fuel. That's what's actually burning. That's what's actually giving, causing light. And they would have needed this light as they were making this processional through, through the city, through the town. This light, this oil, we can liken to salvation. And... Um, they didn't bring any extra. They didn't prepare. They didn't have that with them. The wise ones did. They have, had the, enough oil to, uh, for whatever might happen. They had this oil with them. They had made preparation. Very uncharacteristically, we see the bridegroom, the, the guy, was late. Um, he got delayed somewhere, somehow. It says that he, uh, in verse 4, he was delayed. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. They took a nap. Uh, they were all out. They were asleep. And then about midnight, verse 6, as there was a cry, hey, the gr- uh, bridegroom is here. And possibly from down the street, you know, this, this ruckus, they hear this uh, bridegroom coming, the, the troops, his, his people are coming to meet the, gro- the bride and her people. And they jump up, they start to uh, light their, their lamps um, when the foolish ones discover, whoa, my, li- I don't, my light isn't, isn't tr- uh, working. It says in uh, verse 8, foolish said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. My lamp is, is not staying lit. And the reason was no oil. They didn't have enough oil or didn't have any oil. And we see what the, the wise ones tell them. They say, we don't have enough. We've got enough for, for my lamp 
I don't have enough to share. We can't share. We, we don't have enough to share. There's not going to be enough for all of us. And that's the way with salvation. We can't share salvation in the sense of we can't get into heaven. We can't get into that marriage feast on someone else's merit. Uh, just because your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents were good Christian, good, solid believers, uh, doesn't mean anything in the sense of our, uh, of our salvation. We need to work out and get that, that oil, that salvation, and work out, uh, get that on our own. And the thing is, it's free. It's there. We have to accept it and receive it. Um, here they had to go scrounge for it after they were too late. That's what they, uh, the wise ones said. Hey, we're, we don't have enough. You're going to have to go look for some. Go, uh, and this was midnight. Go down to the, to the uh, cellars and see if you can buy some. Go get your own. We don't have enough to share. So that's what they had to do. The, the foolish ones gave up and they took off running down the street trying to find a place that was still open that would sell them this oil to, uh, for them to fill their lamps. They, um, again, were not prepared for this. And the, the bridegroom comes while they were gone. The bridegroom comes and he's, it says that those who were ready went with him. He was able to take the ones who were ready, the ones who were prepared. And again, it's free. That, that oil, that salvation is free, and only through the cross, only through Christ and the cross is that available. So we see that the, the, uh, the party makes their way to wherever this feast was going to be. They went inside, and it says they shut the door. The door was shut, sealed, nobody's coming in. And a little bit later, these foolish ones come running back, uh, sounds like they found some oil. They came back, said, hey, we're here now. We're ready. Let us in. And they knocked. I can picture them knocking on the door, banging on the door. Let us in. Let us in. We're here. We're ready. But the, from inside, I don't, I picture maybe the door didn't even open. But from inside, they heard uh, the, the words, uh, they say, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. And saying, you weren't with the wedding party when we came in. How do I know you're not just a wedding crasher wanting to get in on a free feast, a free meal? You weren't with our group when we came in. You weren't prepared. You weren't with us. Um, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. Um, we, I think in our Mennonite settings, I, I don't know I've ever been to a wedding where uh, you literally have to show your invitation to get in the door. Um, I know that uh, in my past, in my teen years, there was times when a friend, a friend and myself, maybe one of us was invited, and the other one was uh, uh, said, hey, yeah, we'll just both go, and one more person is not going to make a big deal. And I think now it's a little bit different, the planning. Sometimes there's actually, you've got your name tags at your, your seat uh, uh, setting, table setting, so it might be a little bit harder to, uh, to sneak in. Um, but here we, we see there was none of that. There was no saying, hey, he's with me. He, we're fine. He's, he's with me. I'm going in uh, with him or with each other. The door was closed, and they were not able to get in. And then simply verse, verse 13, like I said, Jesus kind of 
wraps up this parable. It says, watch, therefore. We are, we are told to be ready, to be watching, to be waiting. Always be prepared and on the lookout. And then he says, you know neither the day nor the hour. And I think it's interesting that even there's multiple places, and we'll look at another scripture here where this is very clear. There's multiple places in the Bible that says nobody knows the hour except the Father, and yet somehow people think they've got it figured out. And, you know, with, with all the things going on in our world today, um, we, we see or we hear people saying, well, this fits in with end-time prophecy over here, and this could be this over here. This thing happening in the, uh, in the Ukraine could be this part. And, and all these things, people have it all fit together. And we are given signs. Jesus does give us signs of the season, of the end times. But he says the day and the hour, nobody knows. And there's many people through history who have thought they knew. Um, if you do some research, it's amazing how many movements have been created by people saying that they know when Christ's return is going to be and, and gathering a movement behind them. One that I was uh, especially kind of caught my attention was in the 1840s. There was a guy named William Miller, and he got a, a group uh, worked up, and they called themselves the Millerites uh, after, after him. And he, had, uh, he said that according to Daniel chapter 8, he had this, this whole plan. He knew exactly the, uh, the date and the time when Jesus and Christ's return was going to be, and he had this uh, group of people kind of worked up following him. And I believe the first the date was in 1842. And um, that date came and went, and it wasn't right. So he went back to the Bible, back, went back to Daniel chapter 8, and he came up with a new date a little bit later. Um, and this happened four times. He, uh, he got a new date somewhere. He realized his calculations were wrong. He had four different dates that he uh, uh, portrayed as Christ's return, the second coming. He knows the date. And instead of losing favor, this guy, he, each time there was a larger group, he had a larger following and a larger uh, group of people who were, who were buying into his his thing. In fact, the, the last one, the last date that he had given was October 22nd, 1844. It's October, the end of uh, kind of in the fall. And the article that I was reading said that people, literally farmers, didn't harvest their crops that year. They got to uh, harvest time and they didn't. So what's the point? Christ's return is coming. It's imminent. We're, we're not even going to bother harvesting. Um, there's no point going out in the field. So that year there were, there were many uh, fields left unharvested. People were giving away all their earthly possessions. They were giving all their stuff away. They gave it to their neighbors and friends. I don't need this anymore. Uh, come October 22nd, I'm not going to be using it anyway. Um, they handed out their stuff with no paperwork, with no, uh, they just free and clear, just gave it away. And in fact, one thing I thought was strange <clears throat> There was an account, supposedly there were some people who actually dug their grave and lay in the grave uh, the, the day before or whatever, which I thought was strange. If you're getting ready for the rapture, I'm not sure why you need a grave. But they, uh, apparently some people were, were doing this. They, 
he had this, this group of people so bought into his theory of when Christ's return is going to be. Obviously, we know we're still here. We know that it didn't happen then uh, as a worldwide uh, Christ's second coming. Um, and there's been many others. In our recent history, we can, a lot of us can remember 1988. There was a movement, 88 Reasons Why Christ Could Come in 88. And a lot of people were bought into that and were, were worried about that. Year 2000, Y2K. I know many of you young guys weren't born yet, but um, people said the world's going to end one way or another. The end is coming, 2000. Um, 2012, the calendar supposedly was going to run out in the end of 2012. That must be a sign that the end is here, the end is coming. And none of those came to fruition. None of those worked out according to what people had prophesied, had said. Because no one knows the day or the hour. Um, And when someone emphatically says they do know, my advice would be to, to not listen to anything they're saying. Um, Jesus, in, I think it's in chapter 24, uh, he even says, you know, people will say, hey, the Messiah is returned, he's out in the desert. Jesus said, don't, don't even listen to those people. Don't, don't go, look, that's not me. You'll know, you'll know when I, when I return. In Mark chapter 13, I'd like to read a couple of verses there. Mark 13 Uh, Verse 32. This again is Jesus speaking. He says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angel in heaven, the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. We see uh, Jesus again here is saying, this is what the the end will be like. This is what um, the kingdom of heaven and the end of the the age will be like. Like a man going on a journey, he gives instructions to his servants. And it says here, he gives them work. uh, And to the the night, uh, to the doorkeeper, he says, stay awake, keep keep guard, keep watch. Um, Stay on the lookout. And we kind of know how this can work in the sense of our own homes. I know it's happened in our home, and I can identify, I, I think it possibly would have, a uh, similar situation could have happened to me when I was young, was, you know, mom is gone or leaving for the afternoon, running after some errands, and she has a list of chores that she tells the children, uh, this needs to be done when I come home. There's no reason you can't have this, 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 and this finished when I come back. Make sure this is done. And gives multiple instructions and, uh, and telling the children to make sure this stuff is done. She leaves. And the children decide that, well, it's not a long list. Um, we can get this done, you know, a little bit later. It's nice outside. Let's go play. What if it rains later and we'll miss the perfect opportunity to go play? Go play. 
being out in the yard. And time slips away until all of a sudden, mom comes in the end of the driveway and is driving in the driveway. And the chores are not even started yet. Um, the horror of seeing that and the realization that, yikes, I'm in trouble now because I did not get my chores done. I did not um, focus on this stuff. And that, I don't know if you've had that problem. I am uh, more of a procrastinating person. And I can see, I can identify with that. I think our children are that way too, at least some of them. That, you know, we'll, we'll, we've got plenty of time. I'll, I'll, I'll put it off. I'll do it. I'll, I'll get to it. Um, but not dig in and get it done right away. And some people uh, deal with salvation that way. Some people deal with their eternal uh, safety, their eternal souls that way, and say, I, I'll, I'll get to it. I, there's plenty of time. Um, I'll get to it. And push it off, push it off, until, unfortunately, sadly for some, it's too late. They get to the point where it is, it is too late. And there is not enough time left So as we continue here in Matthew 25, I'd like to read the uh, 31 through the end of the chapter as well. Um, Sandwiched in between here is the parable of the talents. We did a study of this. I'm sure you're familiar with this one where there were three three servants. Two of them were faithful in what they had, what God, uh, what the master had given them, their talents that he had uh, given to them. They were faithful in using it and multiplying it and they received a reward, received a blessing. One of them was not. The last one was unfaithful. Whether he was scared or lazy, um, he just did not, he didn't do anything with the talent. He went and hid it. <clears throat> he did not use what, he, uh, what God had given him to be able to, uh, to further the kingdom. And in verse 30, he was called a worthless servant, in fact, and uh, cast into outer darkness. And then... That's uh, the parable of the talents here. Then in verse 31, it says, uh, Jesus is, this is a continuation, Jesus is still speaking. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer to him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, 
As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. As we look at um, this, this section of Scripture here, we see some things that we're, some, some clues here, but I'd like to notice verse 32. It's interesting. He says that he will separate people one from another. And I think sometimes we get this idea that we can kind of uh, associate, maybe. Maybe we picture that um, because we're part of a church body, because we're part of a family, or whatever. That's not the way it works here. He's saying he's separating them individually, one from another. It won't be coming up here to, to, the, to the throne and he say, oh, you're part of Sandy Ridge? Oh, okay, yep, you're over here. Oh, you're part of Milford Chapel? Yes, you're over here, you're good. Um, or you're part of this family or that family group? Yes, okay, yep, you're over here, you're good. No, it's each individual person. We each individually need to give account for what we have done, for what I have done, and how I have lived my life, how I used those talents that he was talking about in this, this previous parable. How did I use those talents that he had given me? What, what was I doing with them? Was I making good use of them or not? Uh, hiding them in the dirt. But here he says, he gives this list. I was hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, and in prison. And to the ones on his, his right, he says, you ministered to me. And I love their response. The righteous, they, they say, hmm, when was that? I don't, I don't remember that. Um, I don't remember doing that for you. This speaks to me, it speaks of a lifestyle of service, of serving others, of, of just being willing to serve God by serving others, not keeping score of that time, oh, well, I helped this guy over here, I did this, I did that, I did all these things. It's just a, a, a lifestyle of, of love and sharing and, and service to others. It's meeting the needs around us on a day-to-day basis. Maybe super small things that just come up, pop up. Maybe the Spirit prompts you to, uh, to pay for someone's uh, groceries when you're in line. Uh, they're in line behind you. Maybe leave an extra $20 for them. Maybe there's different things like that um, that the Spirit prompts you to do something, and you just do it out of a heart of, of service and out of the heart of love for God, not keeping track of all these things, not keeping, looking for these big things, not trying to get your name in the paper, not trying to uh, get it on the plaque on the wall, but just living a life of service. These are the people that notice and meet the needs around them without seeking glory for it. Now, I want to make sure you understand I'm not preaching a, a works salvation at all. Um, works should be a manifestation, should be a fruit of our salvation of what's inside. When we have that, when we have that oil, when we have that salvation, when we have that, that joy, that peace from God, that love from God, it should flow forth. Uh, it, should, uh, it should be obvious, uh, should be an obvious fruit. So he goes, he comes to these others and he says, the ones on the left, and he, the exact same list, he mentioned these things and he says, you didn't do these things to me. And they questioned it too. They said, well, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I ever saw you hungry. 
I never saw you thirsty, or I, I don't remember ever seeing this. Um, and Jesus' reply is, when you were not doing it to the people around you, when you were not meeting the needs of the people around you, that was you not serving me. That was you not doing and helping me. These are people who live their lives only for themselves, selfishly, um, focused inward, not, uh, maybe not seeing and recognizing the needs around us. Or worse yet, maybe seeing the needs, but uh, I just don't have time. I, I, or it's a messy situation. I don't, uh, I'm not going to get involved in that. I don't want to be a part of that. Um, seeing the needs and choosing to look the other way, to walk away and not, not get involved, choosing to ignore them. I would say probably all of us, I know I have, I, I would say probably all of us can say that we have probably at some point been guilty of that. So the challenge, I guess the, uh, the application of all this, how can we use this? What, what can we take from this? to use, to, to apply to our lives, and, and to, to grow, maybe. The challenge, three things, <clears throat> is we need to be ready uh, for ourselves. We need to get ourselves ready. And like I said, that only comes through Christ's finished work on the cross and accepting that, that free gift. Um, you know, if you fly on an airplane, before you leave, the, before you take off, they always go through this boring safety uh, feature thing. One thing they mention in there is that in, in the case of uh, loss of cabin pressure, you'll get these little yellow bag things dropped from the ceiling, the oxygen masks. And they say, if you're sitting next to a child or someone who needs help, put yours on first before you try to help the child. And I, I, when I was younger, I thought, that's kind of that's selfish. I mean, why, would, why, would, why should you take care of yourself first? Shouldn't you be ministering to the, people, the, other, the kids first? Make sure they're safe. Um, the idea behind that is if, uh, if you don't put yours on and you end up dead, you're not going to be able to help anyone. And that's what the, uh, in regards to salvation. So we need to make sure that we have that oxygen mask, that we have that first in our lives. We need to make sure that, that I'm ready. Make that preparation for ourselves first um, to prepare. Next thing is we need to be watching anticipating his return, watching with anticipation, looking forward, not, not just focusing on that. That doesn't mean that we, we get caught up and think, oh, well, Christ's coming soon. You know what? I'm going to kick back on my lazy boy and take it easy. No need to do harvest this year because Christ's coming back anyway. No, um, but watching with anticipation, watching for his return. And we need to be doing our job. We need to be working as well while we watch and wait. We need to seek the Spirit's direction and His leading and seeing the needs around us, seeing those needs. Um, you know, we, can, we need to be careful that we don't get so caught up in doing the good thing that we totally miss out on doing the better thing. We have, uh, you know, in our circles, we, we're great at having these organizations, these, these uh, programs that we can be a part of, and, and they're doing good work. It is good. But sometimes on the way to church, you see a guy with a flat tire. Maybe that's where God is telling you to stop, be late for church, and help this guy with a flat tire. Maybe you'll do more uh, ministry in that 
than you would going to, uh, making it to church on time. I'm not saying you shouldn't be in church on time, but to be open and see those opportunities, see those needs as they, as they come up, as they pop up in our everyday life. And mostly do it unto him, that we do it to, to his glory. So the three things that I'd like to uh, leave with us this evening, prepare, watch, and work. Thank you. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, uh, this text this evening. Lord, as we look at this, as we ponder our own lives, as we look inward, each one of us, and, and uh, possibly um, seeing some areas that we need to, uh, to, to work on or to, to take note of, Lord, just pray that each one of us can uh, seek your Spirit's direction as we go through this next week, Lord and further and uh, through the rest of our life, Lord, that we can, we can be uh, ready, prepared for your second coming, Lord, that we can be watchful for you. But Lord, in the meantime, that we're busy working, that we're busy doing what you call us to do and what your spirit may prompt us to do at a moment's notice, wherever that may be. Lord, that we're just willing servants to you. Lord, just pray a blessing on this congregation as they, they come and go here. And uh, the leaders here, Lord, I just pray that you would Bless them and, uh, and go with them. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.